Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cue It Up Podcast Network Bootcamp, Minnesota. I'm Demetrius Gelatis. With me, at long last, is Josh Burble. How's it going, Josh? It's going great, Demi. All right. Well, it's been a little while, uh, so thanks, everyone, for your patience. I know you've been, you know, what's the word uh, when they're not frantically waiting, but what's the... Anticipating, yeah, anticipating. You know, with uh, they're on pins and needles. They're on pins the edge of their, they're on the edge of their seat, waiting for our next pod. Exactly. So, uh, thank you all. I'm sorry to put you through the emotional duress of not being there for you to support <laughs> your pool journey. But um, I think so. So, I think we should just uh, share a little bit uh, about what we've been up to. Why have we been uh, a little ne- uh, neglectful of our audience? What have you been up to, Josh? Um. Well. Recently, I sold my business. So I had a hardwood flooring business. I just sold it in the last couple of weeks. So now I'm kind of like a free agent trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. But that's like a big kind of milestone thing for me that happened. And um, so I've literally been uh, just hanging around the house, taking it easy, taking care of the kids and wife. I, I work, I've started working out quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I just, I just focus on other things and, and, uh, I've had, this is like so boring, but I've had shoulder injuries and a lower back injury. So I've been playing, I was playing pool, you know, once, twice a which, week with which friends. Which discs, Josh? Can you tell the audience which discs? I'm not, no, I'm just, I'm just I know, I know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like, I'm totally opposite of that. You know that about I, me, I, too. I'm just having fun. Man. I know, I know. But I, I'm the opposite of like the, the medical, the medical worries guy. I just, I happen to have injuries and I happen to rehab, have to rehab them. So you know, some of it's like I was down on pool or just uh, I was out of pool for a while because I got some shots in my shoulder, some uh, some Superman shots and uh, rehabbing and things. But now I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I, so I went and played twice this week. We're going to play a little bit today. I'm excited. It's going great. So pool is fun and awesome and enjoyable. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, so from a pool standpoint, not much has been going on. But from a life standpoint, things are really, really, really going in the right direction. And uh, I'm kind of. Uh, getting to where I want to be, you know, so. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, as for me, uh, let's see, I am digging myself out. So for, you know, I do, um, I do three day pool boot camps for new listeners. Um, I am my um, professional pool coach. And so people fly into Minnesota and stay with me and we train for three days together and it's awesome. Uh, I, uh, you know, I don't just do, lessons I, I i try to transform people's pool game and permanently and uh, positively impact the way people's uh, relationship is with their pool game for the rest of their life that's kind of what i do uh so that anyway it's been going really good and uh but the one thing is actually business was going really well and i didn't have a plan to like i just didn't you know it's like when you when you're starting a business and you're quitting your job you're, you're thinking more along the lines of like what if this doesn't work you're not really thinking of the lines of like what if I get too many calls or whatever. I wasn't really expecting the, the response I got. And so what ended up happening was I overscheduled myself this year to where the, of course, not only, um, I mean, there's a limit, right? Everyone's got a limit of how much they can work to where before it starts becoming um, overwhelming. And then at the same time, it's also really tricky because there are some jobs that you can do, even if you're not really in the mood for it, but there's other jobs where, you have to deliver. And when I have somebody fly up here and spend three days with me, this is a big, big deal to, to take that time and energy and money and, 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 and sacrifice and make. And, and a lot of times we schedule out a ways ahead and people have been anticipating and looking forward to it almost as much 
as this podcast. <laughs> and so, and so it's like, I just can't, I can't be burned out. I can't be tired. I can't be, you know, disengaged. I, everyone is the most important I've ever done. And so it's, it's, it's been a lot of work. Uh, so I, I scheduled myself very busy. And um, I think that in the future, I have, I've, 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 kind of plan to be a little bit more careful about making sure that I budget some recuperation time a little bit to make sure that I'm fresh, everything's good, I can deliver without hurting myself. As it is, I've delivered. It's just been a little so at times I've kind of overextended myself a little bit. But anyway, the, the, and so as a result, um, you know, I haven't really some some things have uh kind of fallen by the wayside because I've just had to prioritize delivering my commitments and everything else has been kind of backburnered. And then kids going back to school. And then of course they bring home viruses and I get sick. And anyway, that's pretty exciting. But now, now it's all going to be different this time. <laughs> this time, <laughs> this time it's going to be different. So that's the boring part of what we've been up to. Uh, in the middle of that all, I did play a couple pool tournaments, US Open Turning Stone. I had some interesting experiences to you know, besides results, there's some things I went through that I thought were fun to talk about. So I'll share some of that. But um, before we do, let's just jump in. I've got some kind of miscellaneous, like kind of loop back to some emails I've gotten or some different things I've seen. So uh, I want to just take on either listener questions or just kind of like some some miscellaneous topics. Um, and that has to do a little bit with um, with a little bit last. Our last podcast was on handicaps. Uh, and I got an interesting email about that. I wanted to talk a little bit about handicaps and seeding tournaments. And then um, and then a little bit on, there was some interesting conversation about playing pool for a living. Now, we've talked about this in depth, so I don't want to get deep on any of these topics, but I just want to circle back and lightly touch them. Just a little follow-up touch, a little tickle. We're just going to tickle some things. So the email I got, when we talked about handicaps, you and I, made a very good case. And we're not going to restate our case because if anybody's interested, you can go back, listen to our last podcast. Uh, if you want to find it, uh, it's on the Cue It Up podcast channel or the Cue It Up Network archives. It's also uh, on my YouTube, which is mnpoolbootcamp.com or mnpoolbootcamp on YouTube. Uh, so anyway, uh, we had a pretty compelling reasons why we thought handicaps uh, weren't the right road to go down for, for most pool tournaments or all, you know, at least the ones we want to be in. But one gentleman emailed me in and I, I kind of feel bad. He, he put together a really thoughtful email and I haven't given him the response he deserves. Uh, but he basically, if, if he had a really long email, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what I will tell you is if I could sum it up in one sentence, his the explanation of why he liked handicaps were that if you don't have handicaps, when people show up and compete, there are some players that no matter how hard they try and how well they perform, they're not going to be able to succeed. And there are other players that just due to work they put in years ago and the time they've played and the experience they've had, they can show up and not even really have to try, not even be tested and just collect their wins that they feel entitled to based on, you know, the fact that they've just got such a big lead over their, their peers from, you know, decades prior. So you can get the situation where, some, you know, big fish in a small pond just shows up and robs tournament after tournament, kind of like without even being tested, without even trying. And they just feel like, oh, ha, ha, I just get to show up and be the man and take all the money. And and then he says, you know, that's ultimately that's what you get without handicaps. So by handicapping it, you can set it up to where nobody's entitled to win. Everybody's at risk. Every match is going to be a challenge. Let And then let's see who can battle it out and get to the top. 
that was that was the best argument I could tell in his in his uh, email about why he felt handicaps were needed to prevent big fish in a small pot from robbing the local tournaments. What are your thoughts? What would you say to that, Josh? Or what's your response? <laughs> okay. It's nonsense. That's what I think. That's what you asked me. I'm telling you, I think it's nonsense. It doesn't, okay. it, it, it's not the way I learned how to play pool. It's not how I grew up playing pool. I think it's nonsense. I think that, you know, you can go. I, I, it's just, and if I'm stuck, if I'm stuck in the past, okay, and it's like when I w- went to school, I walked up both hills, both ways in freezing weather. If I'm that, if that's what I turn into, I'm fine with that. I'm okay with it. I'm at peace with it. I just, you know, the, the, the things that pool have brought into my life, the challenges that I have faced over my life to get to be where I'm at in pool, I would have not have gotten there um, with handicaps, I don't think. And that's it. And, and as a golfer... I started with a really high handicap and I wanted my handicap to zero because I did not want to play handicap golf. I, I just, I, I, and I played handicap golf and it just was a bunch of nonsense. It's like sandbaggers. It was all the things with pool, the same stuff happens with golf. And so my experience has been, I can only speak from my own experience. And all I can say is that it doesn't do anything for me. It, it wouldn't do anything for me positive. And when I've ever been around handicap systems, it just always felt wrong. And that's it, man. One of my big, one of my first times I beat a professional player was when I was like 15 years old and I was getting weight and I beat him and everyone was all excited. And it's like, oh, I was getting weight. Like even at 15, not knowing anything about pool. And there was barely handicaps back then, you know, 34 years ago. That's just what I, that's my experience, man. It's like, it's handicaps have always been nonsense to me getting weight. Um, I never gambled with weight. I never matched up with weight. I never really gave out weight. I just, I think the way that I wanted to play was to get better and to challenge myself. And even now, if I go play, I got to go play international players most of the time without handicap. And I don't want handicap for a moment. It's like, I'm just going to do the best I can within that situation. And I'm going to, I'm not entitled to win, you know, because because everyone needs a chance to win. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In like a pro tournament, it's like, no, I, I just, this is just how I feel like, I feel like it's nonsense. That's, that's it. Yeah. And you know what you just said makes so much sense to me. And because, and, and again, I'm not restating my most powerful arguments were in my last handicap thing, but I think that what I heard when I read this email was that there was a big, there was a big disconnect between this, uh, this listener and with me in the sense that the, I guess the question is when, what is the when does the game begin and what is the game? And if you have the idea that the game begins, that everybody shows up at 10 a.m. and we do the Calcutta, we do the draw, and everybody should start at that point on equal footing, and that the game should be we all start equal at 10 a.m. Now let's see who can perform the best today. If you have that mindset that everybody should start on equal footing at 10 a.m. and then we'll see who could fight it out today, then that's where you could look at handicaps and say, well, some people have a head start because of ability and you know years playing and all this other stuff. But if you look at the pool game as if the pool game starts, it's it's that the, the game is not about who can necessarily just perform the best today, but the game is about who can manage their career. 
and who could develop themselves as a player and that the game is played not at the tournament, but the game is played in between tournaments on your practice table and sparring with other players and with practicing and working on your game and studying pool and developing yourself into a better player. If competition is about who can develop themselves into a better player that's able to deliver the best performance that day, then the tournament doesn't start at 10 a.m. The tournament's always going. And so to me, the tournament starts when you first picked up your cue. Yeah. So to me, it's a, it's a competition is not about, let's just show up kind of like, you know, we, we get to just live how we want, live an undisciplined, unfocused life, you know, not put in sacrifice and effort. We just get to show up and then, and then everybody should just be entitled to an equal chance at, at success. Like to me, it's about, no, let's see who can develop themselves into the most effective performer. And then, and then we'll measure that by seeing who's got the best performance that day. Uh, and, and, and that the tournament doesn't start at 10 a.m. The tournament starts, it's, it's a perpetual tournament. And that that's, that's how I view it. And so, and so, um, yeah, it's just really, it's a really straight. And so the thing about what you were saying about pro tournaments, it's like, suppose they handicap pro tournaments and how, and I was thinking about this, like if what we really wanted to do was have an equal opportunity for everybody to succeed, suppose some five-year-old girl showed up in a pro event at the U S open. And she's playing these races to nine and races to 11 against Fedor and Sanchez Ruiz. And of course she can't really shoot. So all she has to do is like pocket three balls legally before they get to 11. And it's like maybe filler runs a six pack and then he scratches on the break and this girl runs one ball. And all of a sudden she's a ball. And anyway, it ends up going, you know, to where she has two balls and he has nine racks. Then he runs a table, then he hangs a six ball and she taps it in and she wins. And then at the end of the day, it's like the U S open results are, you know, this five-year-old girl, Nancy, wins the tournament, and then Fedor takes third, and and Filler takes fourth, and she's sitting there holding the trophy on the front cover of a magazine, and and you know, and and being all proud that she just tapped in those three balls. Like that would be really, really strange to me. Like I just, I, I had this picture of like this, and actually, I was the reason I had this is I was talking with one of my students about handicaps, and we were out at a restaurant, and uh, I saw this like four or five-year-old girl walking at the restaurant. I was like, well, what if she was handicapped appropriately? Like. Like, does everyone really, does everyone deserve an equal opportunity to win? Why? Explain to me why she deserves an equal opportunity to win this tournament. I don't really understand. So I, I think that when it comes to, when it comes to handicaps, I do think that there are concerns on both ends. It's, it's a bummer when you have a couple of top, you know, big fish in a small pond that aren't disciplined and aren't inspirational. They're not working on their game and they're just stealing money from lower level players because ha ha ha, I'm better than you. Like that's not the best. And if it's, if it's, if it's, you know, squashing the competition and the competitive fire of the tournament, it's also not the best to squash people's pool journeys by handicapping to the point where there's, there's just no, you you totally derail any kind of personal development aspect of the game. So to me, I think that there's other things you can do to stop big fish in a small pond thing. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are going to real short sets. You know, I saw a tournament being advertised on bar table eight ball, race to four on the winner side, race to three on the loser side, non-handicapped, open to anybody. And I'm like, yeah, that's like, shoot, man. I mean, there's there's not many players that can't take a set off being a race to four. You know what I mean? It's but bar table eight ball. So like you can go to short sets, you can do different formats, and you can do you can do different things. And if you want to, I'm even open minded. There's other things you can do as far as like, you know, you could even do uh, you know, we talked about 
some, you know, some things like uh, maybe tiered entries or something to where, you know, you encourage the weaker players that are kind of dead money to show up by having lower, yeah. kind of lower entries or, or different things or, you know, or you could have bounties on the top players to where if somebody knocks me out, they get, you know what I mean? Different things. Like there's things you can do to kind of mix it up and keep it fun without, without eliminating the prep from the game. So anyway, I just wanted to get back to that listener and explain how I felt. And I think that it's important to kind of ask that question is when does the game begin? And is it does it begin at 10 a.m. or is it ongoing? And then are there alternatives to preventing, you know, a tournament getting squashed from top local players? And I think there are alternatives beside derailing the entire path of pool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, very good. Um, let's see. And that goes with seeding tournaments. You know, I just read a post that was kind of – it kind of aggravated me. So this is my time to, to vent. So somebody had made the comment that seeding was really good for pool. Uh, seeding means splitting up, you know, the top players so that they are spread equally among the brackets. So like at the U.S. Open, they take like, for example, maybe the top 16 or 32 players uh, on the money list and they spread them out evenly among the brackets. And they do that because there's a couple reasons. One is they want their tournament to be prestigious and they want the best players to come to their tournament. And they know that if the best players are seeded, that, you know, the, the players are going to, you know, have better uh, outcomes than they would if they weren't seated. So they're more likely to attract more good players if they see the tournament. They're basically giving a, a, a draw advantage to the top players that encourages the top players to show up. So that then they have a better, a stronger field, a more prestigious field. And then the other thing that that does is it, it prevents the top players from playing each other early rounds, which means that as you get later in the rounds where they have other big production and flashing lights, TV, they're more likely to have top players playing each other. Whereas if you did it randomly, you might have Federer and Filler in round one and one of them gets eliminated. You never even get the, you never, it's like they want to make it like a movie where, you know, the, the matches get more and more climactic at the end and they want to separate all the good players. So that in the last four brackets, it's, you know, it's Filler on one side and Federer on the other. And let's see who gets to the finals, you know? So that's why they seed. Um, I guess the, the, the person said that seeding is really good for pool. Because it's better, you know, it makes better production, makes better TV. But I guess the problem I have with it is that, and it doesn't matter, it's not going to change. But like, to me, it's, you're, you're just, again, you're changing it from an even playing field. And you're actually giving a very, 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 very tangible advantage to some players. Now, you could say, well, those players earned it and it's good for pool. But to me, it doesn't feel any different than if we did a random draw. But then we're just going to give all the top 32 players two games on the wire to ensure that they make it deeper in the tournament for good TV. Like is that would be good for pools. Make sure that make sure that all the top players in the world make it deep so that everybody gets to watch Sanchez Ruiz and, you know, little co. But it's like, yeah, that's you know, that is better for pool. And it does encourage those players to turn up. I mean, if we gave everybody two games on the wire that was in the top 32, they'd be more likely to turn up. But to me, it's like I just don't like I don't like achieving goals by creating inequitable situations. That's all. So for me, I just feel seeding. I'm, I'm a little off put by it. I don't believe it's great. I, you know, I'm, I don't want to play a handicap pool locally where I'm giving up handicaps, but I feel like when I go to the U S open, I have to go out there and I'm giving handicaps to like, I literally have to give up a handicap to Federer. I have to give a handicap to filler. I have to give a handicap to, well, you know, all these things. And it's like, well, why, why am I at a disadvantage to those guys? I just want to play even, I don't want a handicap. But I don't want to be at a disadvantage, and I just think seeding is is again you're 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 
to achieve your desires as a tournament director and a promoter, you're going to mess with the equity of a tournament. And I just, it doesn't sit well with me. I'm not a big fan. What do you think about seating? I mean, well, I'm fine with it, Dem. Mm-hmm. I, I am. I just, I'm okay with it. Like, I hear what you're saying. I, I don't, I don't, it's not a hill I'm going to die on or anything, mm-hmm. argue about it, but I just, I think I'm okay with it. You know, there's other things from a production standpoint that I've seen that I don't agree with. Yeah. But um, there's plenty that I could go, you know, whatever. But that particular thing, I think I'm okay with it. Just on the face of it, um, because I just feel like they've earned that right by being on the top of the money list. And, and you know, and they are in the, produ- the, the production people. Some of the things they do are awful that I've experienced when I've been around it. But in this one, I see, I see what you're saying, the, the, the advantage and stuff, but I, this one, I kind of can get it. I can get on board with. So suppose you went out to the, suppose you went out to the U S open and they did a draw and you were playing against a guy who was like a local player from, you know, from Maryland and he's got a five fifty Fargo. And, and then if you win your second round, you're playing against like a regional player. Who's like a six fifty Fargo, a good player, you know, but, but nothing, you know, not an international champion. And meanwhile, you know, Fedor drew uh, first round. And I understand Fedor actually wasn't seated. I'm using him, but I don't think he was seated because he's been prevented from playing. So let's just use uh, let's just use Shane as an example. So Shane, meanwhile, drew Clenty Kachi first round. And all of a sudden they say, wait, wait, wait. This is bad TV, guys. Hold on a second. Uh, that was the random draw. But tell you what, Shane, come over here. We're going to have you play. The, the local player from Maryland. And Josh, we're going to have you play Clenty Kachi because we don't want Shane to get eliminated. We want we want to save those matches for later. So go ahead and play Clenty. And then Clenty drills you 11-4, and then you win a match on the B side and you get eliminated out of the money. Like, the only difference between seeding and what the, I just said is, is that in my example, they actually did the draw and you saw the draw you got, and then they took it away from you and switched it. Whereas in seeding, they just don't show you the original draw that you might have got, and you just accept the fact that every tournament you play, um, you're going to be one or two rounds away from playing like a top 32 player or something like that. And so I don't know. I, we can, and that's good. I don't need to convince you. I'm not trying to convince you. Um, yeah. I'm just stating how I feel about it, which yeah. is like I just I just think that uh, I just want to play even. And, and and you say they've earned it, and I'm just looking at it like I. And, and so to be fair, at least you know the rules. At least you know that they're seeding it. They're seeding 32 players. They announced it ahead of time. It's not like they're throwing a curveball at you. And so if that's the industry norm, that in all tournaments, the top tour players are given advantages for, you know, promotional reasons, well, then at least the rules are known. And then you get, I get to choose if I want to play or not. And I, and I don't like it, but I have decided that I'd rather play than not play uh, because to me, you know, I don't play for a living. So it's, if I have to play Clenty Kachi and get eliminated, I don't make money. It's like, well, you know, if I was if I was trying to make money, I would stay home. So to me, it's not a really a big deal because I'm not. But but it's definitely not a fair fight. That's all. It's not a fair fight, and you know, yeah, it's a big hill to climb. So anyway, yep. Anything else? I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like cut you off. Go ahead if you had something else to add. No, I guess I just I think what you're saying is what I agree with is that it's all done up front, so you kind of know what to expect. You know what is going to happen, and you know it's going to be tough. And yeah, so it's just, yeah, anything that would be done. Yeah, I, that's fine. Yep. 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 Oh, at least they're, yeah. they're not throwing you curveballs. I appreciate yeah, it. There's plenty of curveballs that get thrown. And, and so, <laughs> so that's, that's fine. And I get to determine that, uh, that, you know, 
like I'm not playing a bunch of events, but there are certain events I just won't play anymore because of the curveballs that I've seen. And I just don't want to, I don't like, I just, I want to vote with my dollar and vote with my integrity. And it's like, I just, you know, I'm a kind of a boycott kind of guy. So it's like, there's certain events that I just won't go to, but, um, but the seating thing is not something that would get me to not go to an event, I think. And I just remember back in the day when we played the open, when Barry was running it, um, they seated at then too. And, oh, yeah. and you would just kind of hope that you got like, cause sometimes they were seating, um, senior players or things, guys that won 20 mm, years mm-hmm. ago. And you'd be like, Oh, maybe I can catch a, catch a bracket. You know, you're trying to root yeah, for the right bracket. Yeah, draw Reed Pierce. Spin the wheel yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no offense to Reed, but he's not, yeah. You know, whatever. So, yeah. yeah. So, so then, um, okay. So yeah, that makes sense. And so let's, I want to talk about some things that are exciting for me with pool is that, um, because I don't want to just focus on negative. I want to talk about some things I think are exciting. So I get excited about tournaments that are non-handicapped and non-seeded and open to anybody. So some examples of that are, tur- are like Turning Stone is a good tournament for me. Uh, Derby City is a good tournament. And now Florida has come out with like a, some kind of Florida tour thing where, uh, you know, they've got a pretty good pool scene down there, don't they? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just saw, uh, actually, Jesse Engel sent me a flyer. So I'm sure it's all over Facebook. The 2023 Florida Pro Cup Series. And what's cool about this is they're going to have, um, they're going to have, you know, $10,000 added 10 ball with a full field of 96 players. They're going to have also a one pocket tournament as well. And so for a player like me, this is perfect because you've got two shots, you know, you're going out, you're playing one pocket and you're playing 10 ball. So if you happen to get a really bad draw, you happen to play a bad match, or you just get beat by somebody that plays really good on you. Uh, you know, you don't fly down necessarily. And after, you know, a yeah, couple of bad shells, you know, yeah. you have, you have two bad shots and you're eliminated and you're sitting around for three days wondering, you know, waiting a few months for your next shot. Like you get to, you get to fire a couple shells. And so that's a big deal. And I also like the fact that, you know, it's big table, it's non-handicapped, non-seated, and it's open to anybody. And uh, I know it'll draw a really tough field, but it's not, I'm not, not everybody I play is going to be an international champ. I'm not always going to be the underdog in every match I play, you know? Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm excited that they're doing that, and I'm looking forward to uh, playing some of those events. So I don't know. I just wanted to try to focus on something positive. I didn't want to come across as scrumpy. Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> well, the other thing, I I think I might have either texted you this or whatever, but like Texas has Skinny Bob's. They they have some good events there. Like I went down there for the Texas Open maybe two or three years ago, and uh, or two years ago or something, and that was a cool event. Like it was a really big like tons of local players and regional players. And then there was obviously a lot of like international level players, but it was well over, it was like over a hundred players and they had a one pocket event too, um, which is the same thing, you know, and, and the, in that one, Texas opened the entry fees very low too. That's why they get so filled up with like shot takers and local guys. And it was just, it was a really cool event. So there's some good stuff out there is all I'm saying, like you're saying. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let me tell you why I think I'm so excited about this Florida event and, and yeah, what you're talking about with the Texas Open and things. So I had a little bit of an interesting experience at the U.S. Open out there and then some things that happened right when I got back. And so I wanted to kind of share some of those things and then and then I think take a step back and look at what I think maybe a listener can learn from what I've gone through. So when I, I talked to you a little bit when I was at the U.S. Open, and one of the big things I, I had to say was that I need 
I need more opportunities to play. Uh, I need more at bats. And I think I mentioned this on a podcast with Nate a month ago or uh, whatever, but, but uh, you know, this year, because I was, you know, very busy and thank everybody. Thank you for coming out and training. I do appreciate it. Uh, I, I love it. Uh, but because I've only played, I've played four tournaments this year and that there was like this six month gap between, you know, Derby and, and the, and the August turning stone. And then, and then it's like when I played the U S open, gosh, man, it's, it's fast. Like you can lose out of a tournament very, very fast. You know, it's a, you know, when you're playing good players and, um, and it doesn't take that many mistakes. And so, okay. Try to go too many directions at once. So one little thing, this is, I guess I'll insert this is one little thing that I feel like there's certain things that uh, less experienced pool players don't really get about tournament play. And one of them is that a lot of times, like it's not it's not like if you play good you win if you play bad you lose and if you win matches and do really well in a tournament that means you did a bunch of things right and if you don't and if you don't win matches and you get eliminated out of a tournament that means you must do, you must have done something wrong that you need to fix and what went wrong there okay well you need to fix that because you can't let that happen again it's like doesn't really work that way does it uh, no not <laughs> at all and it I like I watched some recap posts on Facebook that scroll by me from some elite players. Yeah. And they have that mindset. Like, like it didn't work this time and I'm going to fix it and it's going to work next time kind of thing. And it's just, and it's fine. Cause they're, they're, you know, they're 800 plus Fargo's they're elite They're It's whatever works for them is totally fine. It's just, I don't think that is uh, the way it actually works. <laughs> so I mean, what, why? Cause what I know what I was going to say, but I want to hear what you have to say first. So what, why would you say that? Like, for somebody that's in that mindset, well, like, well, you didn't get the results you want, so look in the mirror. What did you do wrong? How are you going to fix it so next time it'll go? Like, what would you say to that? Like, because people can play perfect sets at that level. Perfect sets, like, and like every people can fire perfect sets, and so you really can't control that. So if you get into that mindset where you're looking at the result and and you think that you can control the result by just giving more, like obviously you want to practice more and do more and be better. And you want to, you know, fix any sort of mental leaks you had, all that stuff is very valuable and and great, but you can do everything and still get ran over two sets. Like that's it. Like just you're playing bots. Like, like this is a bot game now. And so it's just, it doesn't work. I don't feel like it works at the bot level. That's it. Yeah. And so, and so there's a couple of things. So first of all, like if you go out and play somebody and, uh, and they just, and it's like, okay, so you can look in the mirror and have your game plan, but what, what, when you go out there and you don't get opportunities at the table and you just get blasted, you're playing a race to nine and somebody just runs like four racks on you and four racks on you. And you're, you're, you're eliminated in three innings. And you had like, maybe you got one, one or two shots at the table and you ran a table and that was great. You lose nine one because you successfully ran your table. Like, if somebody's like, well, what happened there? What's your game plan? It's like, well, gosh, if somebody runs nine racks on me, I'm going to lose. That's what my game plan is. You know what I, yeah. mean? Like, I don't have an answer for that, you know? Yeah. But then, but then there's something else, which is that not everybody runs nine racks on you, but that doesn't mean that, you know, so you're going to get some opportunities, but in my opinion, there is no game plan to where you're not going to lose some sets. Like this is the thing. It's like, there's just no, like, Name a tournament player that doesn't get eliminated from a lot of tournaments. Yeah, everyone. I, I have a question for Go you. Go ahead. Okay, just before we get too far yeah. down. You've talked about this before, I think, or we've talked about it before, and I don't want to lose the thought. I'm kind of losing even when I'm trying to say it. But um, 
Can you talk to me? Because you're much more eloquent than me on this. Can you talk a little bit about when you, let's say you're playing, right? And a person makes some mistakes that you're playing and then you capitalize on those mistakes. And that's just how pool works, right? You, you do some, you run some racks or, or, or do something or control some games and you get a lead and then the person comes back and then they get some back. And then, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, every time that you make a mistake, it's, well, I should just clean that up and I would win every time. But, but, yeah, but then, yeah. but you're not looking at the amount of mistakes that they had to so, make to get you couple, there. I know what you're saying. So there's a couple thoughts on this. First of all, is that I've thought about this a lot is that games, when you compete, competition is about mistakes. Because if you play against perfect, you will always lose. So if you play against the chess computer, if anybody wants to, they can go on leechess.org and they can play Stockfish Level 8, the chess AI, and they can go ahead and play Stockfish Level 8 and they can play as many games as they want and they will lose. And they can sit there and be like, now, what am I going to do different this time to make sure? It's like, you will lose, sir. Stockfish Level 8 will beat you. And there is no game plan. So the thing about it is, is that if you play Stockfish level four or Stockfish level five, guess what? It's going to play some suboptimal moves and you might win some games because it will make some mistakes. And so the first thing I'd say is when you play opponents, if your opponents do not make mistakes, then you will lose because you basically you don't win because of how great you are. You win because your opponents make more errors than you do. And, and so you know, you can feel like a big shot if you surround yourself by a bunch of players that don't play as well as you. And then you're like, ha look at how great I am. But really, that's why I think it's kind of funny. Like, sometimes I even think about like winning a tournament. What does that really mean? It's like, well, I surrounded myself with a bunch of players that made more mistakes than I did. Ta-da! <laughs> Ta-da! Exactly. It's like, it's like, okay, now I get, I get it. I mean, of course, like if you used to make more mistakes than the players you're competing against, and then you've improved your performance and reduced your errors. And so now you end up winning. Like, of course, I understand the meaning of that. I'm just, it's just a weird thing. But the other part of what you were saying is, is uh, the, the other part is what you're saying about like, well, I'm not, I'm supposed to play perfect. So, so I hear this a lot where, Player A is playing player B. And, and it goes hill hill. And player A has a chance to run the table. And they make the one ball and the two ball. And they hang up the two ball. I'm sorry, they hang up the two ball. And then player B runs the table from the two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then trying to get on the nine ball, player B hangs up the eight ball. And player A taps in those two balls and wins. At that point, player A is like, yeah, I win. And player B says... I should have had that set. I was supposed to win that set. I, I, you know, and then it's like, I hear this all the time. I was supposed to win that set. And I just keep thinking like, well, wait a second. Player B, you say you're supposed to win that set. Why is that? Well, I should have made the eight. Okay. But wait a second. Are you suggesting that player A, what about player A and the two ball? Had player A made the two ball, you wouldn't even got a shot at the eight. They would have just ran out and beat you seven, six anyway. So, so weren't they supposed to make the two and run the table on you? So then you should have lost that set. But no, no, no. So I get it. So what you're saying is you're not supposed to make any of the mistakes that you make, but your opponent is supposed to make all of the mistakes that they make. So what you're saying is if I don't make, if all of my mistakes get reduced and if I don't make any of my errors, but you make all of the mistakes you make, then I will beat you. Is that what you're saying? It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. well, that's true. That's true. So yeah. it's like if I play somebody and 
I make a few mistakes and they make a few mistakes more and I end up winning and they're like, well, I should have had it. It's like, well, if what you're saying is if you, if you played error free and I didn't, if you got to wave a wand and not make any of your mistakes and I still make all my mistakes. And what you're saying is if that was the case, you would have won. Yeah, it's true. And it just, you know, I always say, you know, if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle. That doesn't really matter. You know, it's not really how it works. So it's like, I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, it's that's like, a, that's the exact point, Demi. And I just, I just think that's a super important point because it's just, it doesn't mean that you don't train. It doesn't mean you don't practice. It doesn't mean you don't try to cut down on, on mistakes and errors and, and mental lapses and all that stuff. But it's just kind of disingenuous or delusional to think they're supposed to make mistakes and I'm not. That's all. And, and, and I just don't think that that's a, that's going to, I just don't think it's very healthy and I don't think it's very real. And I think it's kind of, it, it, you know, the more, the only, yeah. So if I see a guy that's an 800 Fargo, that's a world champion, former world champion talking like that, then I'm not surprised to why a 500 or a 600 Fargo or 650 or 700 Fargo talks that way, because they're sort of pushing culture with their communication. And so I just don't think that's the right culture to push. I don't think that's honest. I don't think that it's accurate. I don't, I just, well, and, and so the, I'm not, you, you know, this, I hundred percent. So yeah. There's a narr- there's this narrative, which narrative is, yeah. there's this narrative, which is I am starting out as, as, on this journey where if I, if I do my part and do my training and my development at the end of that, I will transcend my competition and achieve great results and win and triumph. And so it's like, it's like every movie you watch with a sports movie. It's like, that's how it goes. The character gets beat up a little bit in the beginning, they develop, and then they come out the other side and they play great. They beat everybody. And now everybody gets to see how great they are. And it's like, so that's the story arc of a movie is it always ends on a happy note. The problem is at the U S open, you got 256 players. They can't all be making that same movie. They can't all be the karate kid. You know what I mean? That means 255 players are going to be Johnny, uh, you know, or, uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm, I'm mixing. I'm not John Kreese, but who's the other the Johnny? Anyway, Russo. Uh, not the oh, Russo, like, uh, the, oh, Johnny, the blonde uh, guy. The blonde guy. What's yeah. his last name? Anyway, they're all going to be Johnny. You know, so yeah. they're all going to get. They're all going to. Anyway, so the point is, is that so this idea of like so when I'm at when I'm at the U.S. Open, I get a lot of people ask me like, "How'd you do?" And I'll be like, "Oh, I got beat that set," and they'll be kind of like sympathetic, like. Oh, I'm sorry. Like it's something really, really bad. Like, oh, that's a bummer, man. And then they'll sometimes kind of ask, like, well, well, what went wrong? And like, well, what are you gonna, you know, like how are you gonna, you know, how are you gonna fix that? And like, what did you play bad or did you do something wrong? And how are you gonna correct that? I'm sure this is and it's like, bro, like, first of all, nothing's wrong. Like, you're gonna lose matches. Like, that's mm-hmm. I don't understand. It's like that's 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 part of the equation. It would almost be like it's like if you play if you play a race to nine nine ball, you're gonna miss balls. I mean, you're not gonna play perfect sets. So like to think that missing a ball is a mistake, it's like, well, yeah, you're not trying to miss balls, but you also know that you have to budget for that, right? It's not like shocking if you miss a ball in a race to nine. It's not like something came, went wrong. It's like, and I think that is something that we do see in pool. Like you play people, I play people, oh, yeah. and there's people that do. They they just mm-hmm. shocked every time they every time they make a mistake, they yeah. feel like I'm supposed to be perfect. What happened here? Exactly. And it's, exactly. I just don't feel that way. And then when they ask like, well, what went wrong? It's like, I don't know. Nothing really went wrong. Like I played a tough player. Uh, you know, it, I was. I was ahead 2-0. I was down 4-2. I tied it up at 6-6-7-7. And then, you know, first of all, even if I'd gotten shots at 7-7 and then I, like, dogged it or choked, like, again, that's just part of pool, man. It's like you're not always going to win. And I wouldn't even – even that I wouldn't have really felt too upset about. But as it turns out, I just didn't get shots. The guy just 
ran out two wrecks on me. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, what are you going to do? It's like, so it's like when people are like, well, what went wrong? It's like, I don't know. I mean, the guy outplayed me. Like, what do you, I don't really get it. Like, I, it's, it seems so obvious to me that there's really nothing to talk about that I don't even understand how people can get distracted by this stuff. Yeah. And I, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> the thing I was thinking down or would add is that, um, the, uh, sorry, I'm lost my thought here. Um, here, let's just, okay, I got it. I got it. So what I would, what, what I was thinking was the reason why people, different narratives and, and things like that. And where, where, what I was saying with, uh, you know, a player saying, well, if I do this, then it's going to get a result is that sometimes it does work. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, sometimes it doesn't matter what your narrative is. If you put in enough work, if your genetics, if your mind, if everything comes together, you're just going to win that day, you know, if, if players miss shots. And so, but, but what happens is that people continue that narrative until their grave. And it's like, the reality is that, that I don't know, there is a lot of like, this is a rabbit hole. There is a lot of positive, um, there, if you're so focused on the results, you can get results, of course. And so if that's the way a person wanted to do it, I used to do it, you know, when I was a kid coming up in a, a young adult playing pool, really focused on results and had these really strong narratives and I could just will my way into situations. And that is effective in ways. But now that I'm older and I'm, I'm just kind of in a different spot and I've seen so much of the battles and the ups and downs, now I realize that there's a lot more randomness to, to life in the game. And that when I see somebody with those really, really narratives, like powerful narratives like that, and then I put it against the backdrop of bot pool in an international level, I just think that's so strange, like that they think that that's possible to do. And, but, but it makes sense because it has worked for them so, in the past. So here's what, you know what this I mean, is like, you know, you know what this is like, it's like in poker when you're trying to will cards. Yeah. So let's suppose you're playing a poker tournament and you get it all in and you've got like top set of Kings against a flush draw on the flop. And you're like, Oh, all I got to do is <laughs> just hold black cards, like black, black cards. cards, no diamonds, no diamonds, you know? And you're sitting there and you're just like, do a spades, do a spades, yeah. do a spades. And all of a sudden a black card comes up and you win the pot. You're like, yeah, I did it. I did it. Look at me. It's like, okay, you won the pot and, and you were trying to will black cards up there. And then you ended up winning the pot. Did that work? Quote, unquote. What is, what is like, well, I mean, your strategy was to will black cards it happened to come black cards. So now you can sit there and be like, I summoned dark cards out of the universe because my will to win changed the outcome of the deck. Or you can just look at it and say, hey, I got it in. I was like, you know, 77%. I realized my equity. Sometimes I'm going to lose. Sometimes I'm going to win. It went my way this time. Great. And I think that when you're a new poker player, it's like it's really you're just like your your perspective is kind of weird because you don't have very much experience. And so you're just like, I need to win. I want to win. So therefore, I need to will this card. I'm hoping that this happens. Whereas like not not all professional players. This is to your point, like some 800 level poker players are still doing that. Like Phil, yeah, yeah, exactly. at the yeah, deck. Yeah. but then like more and more, like most of these guys have played like millions and millions of hands and they're just like total robots. And so when they're, when they get it in with a flush draw or a top set of Kings against the flush draw, they're not really willing cards. They're like, they're just making decisions and based on information they've got and they make, then they follow, they train their mind to follow a decision tree and a thought process to where once they make decisions that they've kind of, once there are no more decisions to be made in the hand, 
they almost lose interest because now it's like, well, sometimes I'm going to win. Sometimes I'm going to lose next hand. And if that means next tournament or if that means whatever, because today they tell me I'm eliminated. So now I sign up for a new tournament, and run it again. Like they just evaluate their thought process, train their thought process to try to make good decisions. And they understand that the short term results are going to fluctuate like mad. And that just because they lose at a diamond falls doesn't mean that their thought process was wrong. And just because they end up winning that hand doesn't mean their thought process was right. So they just, they don't, they try not to get as focused on short term fluctuation because there is a ton of short term fluctuation in poker. And instead, they're more focused on, you know, training and, and fine tuning their thought process. And I guess for me, that's how I feel with pool. It's like there's a lot of people that are just like trying to will a win. But it's like, man, you can't control how your opponent plays and you can't control, you know, who you have to play. And you don't get even get to control how you play because I don't even think you control how you play because if you could control how you play, you'd always play good and you don't always play good. So you don't really control it. And people get into big fights about things you can control and things you can't. And how can you control whether or not you make the nine ball? Well, if you could, then that would you make it every time. So I would say, well, that's something you can quote unquote influence. There are things you can control, things you can't control, things you might be able to influence. I think you can't control if you make the nine, but you can influence it. But what does influence really mean? Influence really means you can't control it. <laughs> and so really what you can control are what are the things that influence if you make the nine? Well, your preparation, your work, your attitude, your processes, you know, your, your, your pre-shot, your, you know, whatever. It's like the practice you put in your effort. So it's like, those are the things you can control is your processes, your attitudes, your efforts. So to me, just like the poker player who's focused on his decision-making and, and not as focused on the outcomes, I think you have to kind of just be, understand that you're focused on your input and on your controllable things, which is like, do your preparation before the tournament. Stick to your game plan to develop yourself in the months leading up, prepare for the tournament physically and mentally, show up, do your best during that match to, you know, to follow your processes and stick to your game plan. Uh, you know, be mindful to where if things are going wrong, you might take a break and regroup and try to figure out if there's any adjustments you need to make in the moment uh, to, to try to, you know, rise your level of, of engagement or motivation or desire or smooth out any bumps or, or just, you know, recommit to whatever, like, you know, so dealing with the adversity at hand and then doing your best. And then sometimes you'll overcome the adversity and it will be enough and you'll win. Sometimes you won't overcome all the adversity and it'll still be enough and you'll win because your opponent makes more mistakes. Sometimes you'll overcome a lot of adversity, but your opponent sheer just plays great and ends up roboting you out of a set. Or sometimes you'll overcome a lot of adversity and, um, but it won't be enough because, or, or you don't even get many chances. You don't even get many, many chances to see if you could have overcome the adversity because your opponent runs a bunch of racks. So, so the results are always going to be a little bit disconnected from, it's not always going to be about how well you did. And you can, and so even if you could always do well, that's not going to lead to consistent results because you don't always get opportunities. And sometimes your opponent does better. But on top of that, you can't always do well because we're humans and it's a tough game and that's why we play it. So, so to me, it just seems it's not random. It's not like it's not like the things. So I'm saying the things that you can control really, really, really matter. Your preparation, your input, your processes, those things absolutely matter. And just like the poker players, thought processes really, really, really matter. It's not like, well, I mean, a card either is going to come or it doesn't come. So therefore, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to study and prepare. Yeah, there's just, tens of thousands. Let's of just, numbers, Yeah, know? let's just splash around ready. because if I get lucky, I get lucky. Like, obviously, that doesn't work. No, you want the things that a poker player can control is their is their thought process. So you have to max that out, max that out, max that out. But then once you've done that, then the outcomes are going to, in the short term, fluctuate like random. In the long term, though, you'll get what you deserve. And so that's how I feel about pool. You max out the things you can control, which is your preparation, your attitude, your effort, your input. 
And then, and then the short-term results fluctuate around like crazy, but in the long-term you get what you're going. So when people ask about short-term results, like what happened there or how did that happen? Or how did it, like, why'd you lose that hand? It's like, well, I don't, it's like if somebody says, well, why'd you lose that hand of poker with a diamond game? How'd you let that happen? And that would like show a profound lack of understanding of poker. And I just feel like when people are asking about pool sets, like, well, how did that happen? Or what did you need to do different? It's like, I don't really understand. So that's it, man. I just, yeah. some things that were on my mind about that. That was just funny. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I see where those questions come from and I see where, you know, I've grew, I'm not like, Oh, I'm, I'm the Buddha and I figured it out. Or you're not saying you're the Buddha or you figured it out. We're just talking and saying, you know, there are suboptimal thought patterns potentially that I've identified or that you've identified and they might not be suboptimal for everybody, but we're just sharing our experience, you know? So, so why, why do you think it's sub- like, what's the harm of trying to like will wins and, and hold yourself accountable for outcomes? I, for me, okay. Not for anybody else. Like for me, there comes a lot of pressure with that and it can be very distracting and it can be very, um, it can be very much, like a addiction or a drug, you know, like when I was a kid, the first time I quit playing pool, when I was around 17, 18, 19, I was winning a lot of local tournaments, like weekly tournaments. I was kind of, you know, winning a lot. And I thought that I could will my way to to victory in all these tournaments. And I was a good local player. And there were some other players that were good too. And sometimes I had problems. I had girlfriends, you know, I had issues, right? So I'd get distracted, quote unquote, and whatever. And what happens is if I wasn't allowing for suboptimal play and variation within my game and all the things I understand happen now, you know, with like Fargo rate, understanding the, the, the range and stuff. So what happens is if you don't allow for that range for me, I had an expectation that I was always supposed to win or going to win, or if something, if I didn't win, something was wrong. And it just became kind of like an empty thing when I won too, you know, like I'm supposed to win when I won. And so there was no victory or no good, like there was a very short window of good feelings. And then when I lost or didn't win, then it was negative, 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 you know, and it's like, you just can't win all the time. And so for me, it became a little bit of a bottomless pit. Um, so I think that people that feel like um, they go out, you know, when I see somebody post that they went out to the U.S. Open and they would have won if they didn't make so many mistakes and I'm going to fix this and everything and this is unacceptable and that kind of language, I feel like they're, they're you know, that that to me just reminds me of thinking that you're supposed to win every time and, the, and how kind of spirally that can get yeah when it gets to the point where winning does nothing good and losing does everything bad then you know no win situation yeah yeah Yeah. expectations and all that so so, yeah what i what i think is like i have been on this thing where and this will tie in with where i want to go next is i want to treat myself you know the funny part is there's the golden rule which is treat other people how you'd like to be treated so maybe i'm going to coin this as the demi rule which is treat yourself how you treat other people yeah everybody else is like well treat other people how you treat yourself but most people treat themselves pretty damn awful yeah so my golden rule is why don't you treat yourself like you'd want to treat somebody you loved mm-hmm. like like so if you had your son or your daughter or somebody you cared for that or somebody you're coaching and they were playing pool then 
would you every time they made a mistake? Would, oh, this is, is uh, uh, you know, it's like, do you scream at them and berate them? And this is unacceptable. And we're going to have to iron this out so you're not this flawed failure until we're going to have to work on that. So that someday you're you're worth a shit. Is that like, is that really how you talk to them? Or would be like, hey, man, you know what? You're in a growth process, you know, and, and no, even no matter how far you grow, mistakes and losses are going to be part of the game. So buckle up and get, you know, mm-hmm. let's handle it like a pro. Let's take the feedback that there is a part where you have to look in the mirror and say, okay, what are, are there lessons to be learned? And sometimes you can look in the mirror and say, yeah, there is a lesson to be learned from this set. And I learned that from one of my sets I lost to Ernesto Dominguez is that I lost not because I couldn't run out, not because I couldn't handle pressure, but when I look back at that set, he's a good mover. And there was a number of moving games where I had these kind of containing situations or, or kind of like, where I was hooked, but I had some, anyway, I had a lot of like, I was, I had innings where I had marginal equity at the table and I did a very poor job realizing it. So some of my safeties leaked out. Some of my kicks, I leaked out. I wasn't, I didn't, it just, I wasn't prepared to fight for the inches on those in-between shots the way I should have been. It didn't either. I like, I was so focused on just like not missing balls and running out when I got chances. I was focused on the big things and in pool, Sometimes pools made up of the little things. And in, in that game, it was a, in that set, it was a game of inches and it was a game of a few inches on a few moving shots that denied me the opportunity to have those big opportunities. And I realized I was focused on, you know, I was so hung up on, can I handle the pressure? Can I run out? Can I pocket balls? Can I, can I do my job and convert on opportunities? And it just, if somebody had told me, Hey, a couple inches on a couple of these safeties is going to make or break your tournament. I would have probably fought harder for those couple inches. So I do, I did look in the mirror and I did say, you know what, next time I play a tournament, I got, you know, I got to remember and prepare that, that even when I'm at the table with this opportunity where I'm just scraping off the edge of a ball and trying to like, you know, try to hopefully get behind something. Well, hopefully get behind something. This may or may or may not break my tournament and I can't force the ball to get behind of the nine, but like I can at least understand that, that whether or not I get behind that nine ball, could could be a big deal. And so let's give it my best swing. And so anyway, there are things I can learn from this. And there are things, there are lessons I can learn. And there are things I can say, yep, I want to, or I want to practice edging some balls. And I want to, or I want to make sure I'm sparring with more people instead of playing the ghost. So I can work on that part of my game a little bit more prior to these tournaments. Because boy, even if I'm messing up some run out opportunities, if I were to get a few more opportunities to run out, it'll probably take a lot of pressure off and help me get momentum. So I can look at that and say, here's what I want to focus on. Here's what I want to practice. Here are some things I want to do to adjust my preparation. To, to So I can look in the mirror and take ownership for mistakes and then put together a game plan to work on it. But that doesn't mean that I was a failure. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to, that I, that doesn't mean that I will be a success in the future. That's just the process you go through. And to me, listening to you and listening to your recaps, when I heard them from you, when you're out there, to me, that's a healthy, positive, like inspirational way to, to look at pool and that it's repeatable and that it's long-term and it's not, it's so much to me that's, that's, that is exactly the way that it's the process should be. It's like, you look at what happened and you, and you said, you know, it came like, I thought it was going to be these things and it was moving. And then you look at it and you're not like, tisk tisk tisk. you know, beat myself beat up yourself about it. How up could I ever do this? How wrong? could I ever do this? Or if I could just clean those mistakes. I mean, it's like, yes, there is an element of, yeah, if I move better in that, in my, you know, when I go to these tournaments, then you have a game plan, an action plan associated with it. And, and so maybe some of it is just, 
presentation or, but, but I don't know if that's the case. I think some of it is absolutely the mindset, you know, Here, here's what it is. And I, the, the older I get, the more important the serenity prayer is, which is, you know, grant me, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. It's like we, that ties into there's things you can control, things you can't control, and and knowing which is which. So you have to be a beast in pool and control everything you can control as best you can. But then you have to be able to accept everything you can't control and, and let that go. So that, because the more you focus, in short, the more you focus on things you can't control, that creates fear, frustration, and self-loathing. So, for example, and that what I was just saying, it's like, well, moving game, what could I control? Well, could I control that I hook him on every safety? No, I can't control that. I have to let that idea go. Can I control, hey, if I play these safeties well, that I could force a win and make sure I win this match and make sure I cash and make sure I play really good and make a deep run? No, I can't control that. Maybe I would have played good safeties and I still would have lost. Maybe I would have tried to play good safeties and I still wouldn't have gotten them to work. So I can't control that. But could I have been more prepared to play those safeties? Could I have put in more work on my safety game and my sparring game and my moving game instead of just playing so much ghost? Uh, could I have gone had a could I have put in more effort on those shots, understanding the importance of those shots? That's where I'm like, okay, those are things I can control is my preparation and the effort I put in and the awareness I put in on the priority of these inches. So I can control my preparation, I can control my effort. And that's what I will try to do better next time is the processes. But then I understand that that doesn't necessarily mean that those shots are going to work. Even if they do, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win. And even if I win, that doesn't mean that I'm so awesome. Now I've got it all figured out. It just means sometimes it goes your way. So that's an example of, I think when I'm talking process versus results, I just think it ties in with that serenity prayer. You have to own, you have to have the courage to change the things you can and be accountable as hell. But then you have to let go of those things you can't. Because then if I go out there next time and say, okay, well, I worked on my safety preparation. So now I got to get behind it. Like, you don't want to do it like you did last time. It's like, that. all that does is create pressure. I can't control that. Yeah. So by trying to control stuff I can't control, it just creates expectation and pressure and all that. But identifying the need to get those extra inches and get behind balls and do all that stuff, overall, it's going to improve your safety yeah, in the long In, in the long, long run, yep. and, yeah, maybe not in the exact next match or the next tournament. And it might, it might, like it could, but overall, that is going to be part of your overall strategy to gain better results. So whatever it is, yeah, that, your, that your, your long-term yeah. trajectory is going to improve, Yes, but it's not going to work on your terms till you're the way you, it's not yeah. going to, you're not going to get what you want every time you want it, yes. but in the long-term, you're going to move the right direction. So, yep. Very cool. So then, um, okay. So I had, I had an interesting experience after I got eliminated at the US Open. I got to watch like a bunch of matches. I probably watched 20 hours of live pool and I was really inspired and then funny thing happened when I got home. I, there was like, I basically made like, I, I went through a little existential crisis over like 24 to 48 hours <laughs> because the first thing I saw was like, I need more at-bats. I've only played four tournaments this year. The first thing I talked about was I need more at-bats. If I want to have any chance, I not only do I need more opportunities to compete, so that I'm being driven by top players and acclimate to that level of competition and get my mindset right. But also I just need chances to 
you know, to get a good draw or to get or to catch a good gear. And and I just need more just the same way. If you played a race to five and you only got one shot, it's like, man, I need more shots at this. Well, I'm playing a tournament. I like I'm playing a, a career. I need more shots. I need more shots than the one I'm getting. So that was the first thing I figured out. And I was like, OK, I need to get more at chances, but I'm not a full time player and I've got obligations and it's not easy for me to. You know, every every tournament I play is not only the, you know, the money it takes to go play, but the money I'm not making by being out of town. So it's very expensive to go play tournaments. Um, and it's not my, you know, pool's not first in my life, you know, of course. So then, so then I get home and I was really inspired by watching these top players, Francisco, Little Co, and Max Lechner in particular. I was very inspired watching their performances. And... So then the mistakes I made, Josh, the first thing is I saw them doing some things a little bit differently than me. And I was like, I want to play like that. Okay. The second thing that happened is I saw how good they were playing. And I was like, I want to play like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then and then I jump on the table and I start like messing with my game and, and setting the bar impossibly high. And what happened was I got incredibly discouraged and frustrated because I was like, drawing fire like yeah, it was yeah. like total drawing fire it's yeah. like i'm watching these guys make it look so perfect and i'm like yes yes that is how this is the voice i had in my head yes that is how pool should look like that is how why are you doing that is now you know that's what you're supposed to do so why don't you just do that now now go ahead and do it now how come now remember what it looked like was that what it looked like was that what it looked like when max yeah. lecker hit that shot because yeah. i don't think that's what like this is the voice i'm using in my head as yeah. i'm playing yeah. have you ever done that oh every time <laughs> yeah. every time every time but yeah, that is super funny. So so, so then, can I go ahead? Go ahead. I yeah, just yeah, want to yeah. tell one thing yeah, about drawing yeah. fire. We've probably said drawing fire, and we've probably explained drawing fire. Ahead, but I want to just explain them real quick because I think it's a cute story. So my one of my kids, one of my younger kids, when he was really little, he had the color crayons out, and uh, he was trying to draw a picture, and he started crying because. He said, all I can do is draw fire because he was so little. He could just kind of grab it in his fist with different yeah, it's, colors. It's like a just... four-year-old with a red crayon. What yeah, do you expect? I mean, yeah. yeah, he might have been three or something, too. Yeah. You know, it's like he was really little, so he couldn't do a picture. He could just – everything looked like fire. So then I, I told Demi that, like, when I was down, down, down on my game, I'm like, Demi – when I felt like crying, looking at my game, just doing the same stuff that you just <laughs> described about going back from tournaments and going to pro tournaments and coming home. I'd just be like, Debbie, all I can do is drop fire. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyways, that's just, uh, so I this share that, but yeah. So yeah. I definitely have been there and I've done that. And yeah. So the, the, the levels of the mistakes were one, I was trying to play like, like I was trying to change my game to look like somebody else's. I, I had impossibly, impossibly high goals, which is I wanted to play like Max Lecter was looking and why am I not playing like that? And I was like, impossibly, I mean, like, and, and the funny part is like, I, I quote unquote, know better. Like I know better. <laughs> like that's the funny part is I'm supposed to, and then there's, then there's that voice, like decent, the voice like, Oh, you're supposed to be a pool coach. You're supposed to teach mental game. At what point do you understand how you're supposed to go? It's like just this really, really, really berating, impatient, like, like this is unacceptable. At what point do you get this right? And so then I go through this for like a day or two where I'm just like, I was really, really like, um, I was really, really, really like discouraged. And so I found it interesting because watching, here's the, the notes I made. And it's trying to like remember a dream now, but but the notes I made, there's a point that I really want to make, I'm gonna build to, which is I was inspired watching these pro players play, 
But then I was equally discouraged and frustrated. And I was, I was reaching frustration and self-loathing watching myself play because of comparison and because of unrealistic goals. And so what I had to do is I had to say, how do I get the positive, which is what kind of like we have to sort out things, you know, just like I was saying, how do you get the positive from watching the feedback, of your matches? How can you learn from those things and focus on the things you can control without the things you can't control derailing you? Same thing here. How do I get the inspiration without the discouragement? And what I was going through was I'm like, okay, it is inspiring to see what is possible. It is good to have an idea of what's possible to strive for, like a compass. You could steer with it. And and there might be there might be some things that you can, you know, that you might have some eye-opening moments where it can even, you know, organically impact your performance. But what would be wrong would be to then create that as a goal or as an expectation. Uh, because I can't play like Max Lecter, because you know, among other things. Max Lechner is able to put in a lot more volume. He's able to compete against international players a lot more often. And, and so if you look at his input and how much he's putting into the game, I can only put in a fifth of that at best. And so it's not fair to myself to expect from myself the same type of output that he's going to get when he's putting in five times the input. And so I guess I just had to, I, what actually helped me was I said to myself, I have to make some concessions here. Like I have to go back and and uh, while I think it's great to watch Max Lechner play, and I think he plays amazing and I can strive to go that direction. I actually have to lower my goals because that here and here. And so this goes back into goal setting, which I didn't mean to, I don't, you know, we could do a podcast on any one of these topics, but basically I was like, are my goals clear, attainable, just almost in reach and, and, and vivid or are they vague galaxies away and impossible to reach and, and, and really, really unclear. And I realized that I was being sucked into this impossible to reach unclear. I just want to play perfect. Mm -hmm. And that like, doesn't really like wanting to play perfect and be, make the game look easy and be able to strike everything as good as anybody in the world at any time. That's kind of a vague impossible goal. And that doesn't really create excitement and, and, you know, this it doesn't it is it, it the, the it's the negatives it created were were it oh, was derailing me. Yeah. So I, I decided to myself, I need to go back and make some concessions. And and I have to like, yeah, it's great to watch 20 hours of pro pool, but then let's go back to the goal that's almost attainable, that's just out of my reach, that I feel like even someone as screwed up as me could probably still manage that mm -hmm. and then go for that. I had to like yeah. so it's like the baby step approach. It's yeah, like yeah, it's like you know, I want it. Yeah. Yeah. Deep down, I want to play perfect. But then like, what's the first, what's the smallest possible step towards that? And then yeah. let's go back to that. Yeah. And and this might go with what you're saying, but when you were talking them about it, I was thinking when I get in those situations, what I've learned to do or what I do now is I have one or to three, I'm just throwing a number on it, like one to three takeaways. So if I see something that they're doing, then I can't do everything they're doing because that would be overwhelming. And then that would be a comparison thing, whatever. But if I look at one thing that they're doing or one thing that a group of them are doing really well, then I go and try to, with more like positive energy and inspiration, I say, I'm going to do this one thing. Like, so there's a, there's something where I've like being around pool pool. I, I, 
I've always watched players draw the ball very accurately with lots of power and accuracy. And so I'm like, after going to some events in the last, before I was done with the last couple of years, I kind of went home and I was like, I'm going to learn how to do that. So I created a drill that was based on drawing the ball powerfully and accurately. And so I was more inspired and encouraged. And I'm like, let me see if I can just do this. And then I knew that if I can do this one thing, that that's going to be able to the drill that I created, if I can execute this drill, and it was frustrating, man, it was really, really frustrating to do because it's difficult, but it was fun. And it was inspirational. And it was, it was cool to see the progress. And it happened kind of, you know, it happens relatively quick. But, but because I didn't get overwhelmed with 15 different things, I had one particular thing that I was working on as a takeaway, I feel like I was able to implement it in my game and to you know. So let me talk to that because that's it's funny you say that because that's is uh, this is a little bit embarrassing to talk about because there's parts of me where I really do feel like I should be better than this. Like I should be beyond this, not only physically with my skills, but mentally with my understanding of pool. I'm, but that's why I'm doing this because I know if I struggle with this, like I am, I do have a very good uh, mental game and mental approach that works very well for me. And so the fact that I still struggle with this means that everybody struggles with this, Mm -hmm. which is I did watch how powerfully and and accurately they stroked and drew the ball and how, and how, how quiet their cue movement was compared to the, the outputs they were getting. They weren't jumping and flailing and lurching and slamming. They were just, it was their stroke and their timing and their tip accuracy and they were getting a lot of a lot of action and a lot of power with and they were using power but they were using a Qu- quiet power quiet power yeah that's good, that's good. and that's, so the same so what happens though is is that i get on my home table now my home table is gritty as hell and so those those cloths are brand new so here's the here's the problem with any kind of comparison we're talking about i'm watching like max lechner and i'm watching little co and so we're talking about some of the top 20 in the world and we're talking about the people that are deep in the U.S. Open. So Federer got eliminated. I'm not talking about watching Federer because he got eliminated. I'm not watching Filler. He got eliminated. So I'm watching the top 20 in the world on their best day when they actually make it. You know, everything is clicking. With brand new cloth. And with brand new cloth where it's like really, really, really it's easy to draw easy, the ball. Yeah. So I'm watching the best in the world at the top of their performance range on new cloth. And then I'm going home. On this gritty carpet, when just uh, as a top, you know, three hundred in the world or first hundred player, and and I'm going to sit there and try to draw my ball like Max Lecter, mm-hmm. and what ends up happening is I start miscuing and jumping off the table and my body move because I can't, I can't do that. I can't do what they're doing. So then I put together a game plan, and so I'm like, okay, so I have this draw shot. I'm going to work on. I'm going to work on it like the Mighty X style. Like I'm going to work on it where I'm doing follow shots. I'm going to do stop shots, follow shots, and draw shots. And better yet, I'm going to start because my my table's really gritty. I'm going to start to where if if, if my success rate is is not in, you know super high uh, with the table length draw, well then I'll move it to a half court draw. And then and then if it goes 90% success rate from there, then we'll go to three quarter court. But let's start where I'm 90% successful and then work on work on you know quieting out my movements and keeping it smooth and building confidence and you know whatever that's what i want right so so the okay so just to recap my the first problem i had watching the top players was it derailed me from having clear attainable goals to having vague expansive unattainable goals 
And then the second thing that happened is once I said, okay, blah, 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 let's calm it down. Let's just, let's just set some clear attainable goals for me. Well, then immediately I was like, okay, now why am I not there yet? Okay. So those are my, those are the clear attainable goals. Now let's get there now. Yeah. And I was like incredibly impatient with Mm -hmm. myself and, and very exasperated, like, Okay, but these are supposed to be the clear attainable goals, so I should be able to do that then. Like, let's make that this afternoon. Yeah, and and then immediately, Josh, I had this plan on doing stops, follows, and then progressive draws, and that lasted about two minutes until pretty soon I was setting up the most difficult draws (laughs) and miscuing off the table again and again and beating the crap out of myself. Yeah, and so it was like. Like, I just wanted to be at the finish line and I wanted the part where I could just draw it back. And it's like, and how come this isn't working? And why am I not there yet? Yeah. And this is so stupid because I just set this goal and it's like, I just, I'm working on it. And it's so obvious that this is not working, but it's so easy. Like, I know better than this. And I'm still going down this road where for two days, I'm just beating the hell out of myself and running myself into a wall. And so, the actually the moral of the story is, is is it has to do with this, but it's a different moral. So I actually had to sit down and I really had to work through this one. And I had to say to myself, okay, what's going on? I'm getting incredibly frustrated because I've set these goals and I'm and I'm, and I'm not, I've set myself a destination I want to strive towards, and I'm not there yet. But I'm like, I just set this goal. Like I literally just set this goal. It's it's like it's like a kid asking, are we there yet? It's one thing if you've been driving for six hours, but to say, hey, kids, we're going to go to Disney World and you jump in your car and you're just pulling out of the driveway and they're asking, are we there yet? It's like, wait a second. We just got in the car here. So I had to remind myself that goals are the the, the purpose of goals is not. It's okay. It's not. Let me finish. It's not to hit them. It is to hit them. But. The purpose that the, the, the purpose of a goal, the benefit of a goal is, is not the part where you hit them. The benefit of the goal is giving yourself a compass of something to strive towards so that you can enjoy overcoming the adversity between you and that goal and that you can grow and develop yourself in the right direction and that you can have a, a, a track to, you know, to journey down to where you can improve yourself and, and challenge yourself and have fun challenging yourself. That's the purpose of a goal. And then the other purpose of the goal is in the end, at some point you hit it, that's great. And then you set another one anyway. So it hardly even matters. But like, I lost focus of that. And I was like, incredibly impatient. And so basically, okay, I'll stop. Do thoughts about that? Anything you want to say about that? No, I think it sounds good, man. Yeah. So, so what ended up happening was, I realized something, which is that the real game is not drawing my ball. And my real game is not about hitting a some kind of draw shot drill. The real game is not about hitting my my pool outcome goals. The real game is I'm going to create an effective game plan. And that I understand that there's part of me. There's two parts of me. There's the mature part of me that understands that I'm not going to be Max Luckner. The mature part of me that understands that I'm not going to achieve my goals in one day. And that mature part of me that understands that what I got to do is set up an effective game plan with clear, attainable goals, and then steps I can take and action plans I can take to move that direction. And that there's going to be some turbulence and challenges. And that the mature part of me understands that the name of the game is going to be meeting that adversity on with a good attitude and sticking to my game plan, 
when things get bumpy. But there's another part of me, which is an immature five-year-old part of me, which is like, why can't I have what I want when I want it? And I want to be Max Lechner and I want to have already achieved this and I want this to be easy and I want this to be fast and wham. And that what's going to happen is when I get in the ring, there's going to be physical adversity like these draw shots. And then there's going to be the mental adversity, which is going to be these tantrums that my five-year-old brain throws. And that the name of the game is not, can I draw the ball? The name of the game is when I have these emotional tantrums, one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to death spiral and start beating my head against the wall, abandon my game plan and start just doing these power draws I can't do or I'm miscuing off the table and beating myself up. Or I can sit with that tantrum and let it go and say, yeah, that's nice, but re- I can course correct and, and recommit to my game plan. And then, I can, and then I can have the patience to work on the draw shots I can do and build it up and stick to my plan and, and, and follow the path that I already committed to. And so it occurred to me that the real game is not drawing the ball or hitting my goals. The real game is sticking to my game plan and not being ruled by my five-year-old tantrum self. Yes. That's awesome. There's a lot. That's a really great lesson, man. It's hard to look at yourself and say, I have a five-year-old tantrum self because we're both grown men. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, yeah, that's exactly what that is. And, and And I thought that the word was mindfulness. And it occurred to me, one thing that actually encouraged me was that I'm going to be competing against a lot of people. In fact, a lot of people listening to this podcast, um, I might be competing against a tournament someday. Mm-hmm. And then it's not going to be about, it's it's a lot of times who's going to perform better is the person. It's like many people aren't going to be able to avoid, you know, many people are going to be derailed by their tantrum self. So I'm not the only one that struggles with this. Everybody struggles with this. And a lot of the folks listening to this are going to be derailed to the point where, they abandon their game plan or they work their game plan for a day or two and then they quit or, or they, or whatever. And they go through these spirals where they work hard for a week and then they get derailed for three months or they play hard for a month and then it doesn't work the way they want to. And they quit pool for three months. And it's like every, that's my competition. So if I can have, if I can be more mindful and stick to my game plan and not be ruled by my emotional self and therefore just follow this path, then it doesn't matter if I'm not the best at drawing the ball, it doesn't matter if I'm not Max Lecter, because if I'm able to, if I'm able to correctly get the right feedback from my matches, focus on the things I can control, come up with an effective game plan, and then adhere to it and not be ruled by my tantrum self and keep refocusing on, you know, the joy of facing that adversity and, and, and the feeling of empowerment that you get when you do stick to your game plan and you're not allowing these emotional outbursts to rule you that, that that's the real game. And that if I could follow that path, that's actually what sets me apart. That's, you know, I can't, I don't have superpowers. I don't have, I'm not the best draw shot player in the world, but I am very mindful and self-aware. And I am very good at, at navigating through those storms and recommitting so that when I do stumble, uh, I, I was said this, actually, this is a really good lesson. Yesterday I was playing with one of my students, actually it was Friday. And uh, when we were playing the ghost, uh, when he was, when he was winning, he'd win three, four racks in a row and then he'd lose and he'd lose like four racks in a row. And that happened like two or three times where when he lost. So basically I told him his mistakes were coming in bunches. He wouldn't just make one mistake. He'd make like three, he'd leak off like four games in a row before he regrouped. And I told him, I said, your mistakes are coming in bunches like bananas. And if you stop, it's not about, can you run a lot in a row? It's about if you can course correct, if you can regroup more quickly after you start spewing, 
that's going to be your biggest lever. Because if you're playing the ghost and every time you make a mistake, it costs you one game and then you regroup, well, then you can afford to make a mistake. You can afford to lose one. But if every time you mistake, you make a mistake, you death spiral into four games, then you it's going to be very hard to win. It's very, You can't afford to make any mistakes then. And the same way here, I make mistakes where I get frustrated and derailed and I get derailed from my game plan. But that I tend to course correct exceptionally quickly to mm-hmm. where I'm back to my game plan. I, 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 th- I reflect about it. I'm mindful. What went wrong? Why did I derail? Oh, I was getting ha ha ha. And then I'm back to my game plan. Whereas a lot of people are ruled by that emotional part and they get derailed for days, weeks, months, years. Yeah. And then, and then I feel like, so what is my edge is that I'm, I'm able to navigate. So I think that being self-aware and mindful and being able to be ruled by your mature self and stick to a game plan. And, and when you're dealing with emotional turbulence, being able to recognize where that's coming from and why, and then making that part of the game, making that big, the part of the game and realizing most people can't navigate through that. And if you can, if you could find the right ways to identify why it's happening, let it go and make that part of the game and embrace that challenge and then stick to your plan and not let that rule you. I think that to me, that's one of the things I do that gives me a strong edge over a lot of my peers. And, um, and so I'm trying to share it with the audience. Yeah. And I think that if you're able to do that, like people that are listening or for myself or for you to be able to do it, it's a, it's a huge lever to pull lever. Um, the, uh, and, and I'll say like my wife is a therapist, um, and we talk and discuss and there's there, I wish I had the term, I forgot it, but there is something where people in therapy, um, when she's trying to help people that, that they're, they regress to their childhood self basically. And so when they get in stressful situations or they get into relationships and they're fighting with their spouse or their kids or whatever, or boss, they can regress into this sort of childhood self and, and whatever they were, however they were raised, you know, within, within those formidable years, they can regress to, even though they're, they're like old and, and, and matured, um, they can just get triggered and regress. And I know that I'm, I'm fully capable of doing that. And so, so it's like less now, you know, I'm working, I'm a work in progress, but I'm trying to improve. But I think like, this isn't just about pool. This is about, you know, in your own negotiations and your interactions in your life, um, that whole regressing back to your, your five-year-old, basically what you're saying, Demi is spot on. And it's, I do think I'm not a therapist or anything, but I'm married to one. And I think that that is, what she talks about. That's a strong, like therapeutic correction, I would say. So it's cool, man. I think there's a lot of healthiness there. So, yeah. So it's been an eventful week. I completely agree. It's been an eventful week for me. Um, it's um, so I think that uh, I've just realized, yeah, clear attainable goals. I'm not going to get there today. My, my job is to create a game plan, stick to that game plan, treat myself the way I'd like to treat others. Yes. The Demi rule. Yeah. Like it's the the platinum rule, something like that. I should whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's kind of what was on my mind, and that's what I've gone through. And then um, let's see. I'm excited. You know, I do want to give myself more shots. So I was telling you, I am going to be trying to get to eight tournaments next year. So that's going to be more than I've ever played in a year before. Uh, it's going to be hard, and I don't know uh, if I'll be able to do that the year after. It'll depend on you know, how I perform, what kind of money I win back, if I'm able to sustain that. Uh, I may even put together some type of package where if I commit to eight tournaments, you know, I've never had sponsors before. I don't really use backers in a negative 
expected value situation. But I have done things where I've sold slices of action or raffled off slices of action or different things. And, you know, if I want to go to eight tournaments, I might, I might package it all up together and then say, you know what, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give myself a shot before I'm, you know, got, they got both feet in the grave and, uh, you know, not a shot to do what Francisco or Max Lechner do, but just a shot to, to do what I could do. And so I want to try. Uh, it takes more at bats. I, I was telling you, I think the number one thing I have to do, like I was like, there is no path for me to get any further towards my goals that doesn't involve firing more shells. Like there's, I could practice different things and spar with different players and do what, you know, whatever, but, but it's none of it's going to do anything for me if I don't, you know, increase my volume of at bats. And so I saw that very clearly. So I'm, I'm going to, find a way to make that work. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know how sustainable it is, but 2023, eight tournaments, I'm going to have turning stone, turning stone, Derby, U S open, uh, several of those Florida events, uh, Florida events, and then possibly the international open as well. Uh, because those are right next to each other and gives me a little momentum. So that's currently what I'm thinking. Some of those are going to be very, very, very difficult top stacked international fields. Some of them will have a nice mix like Turning Stone Derby and these Florida events where there's going to be a mix of top players and some regional players. So the odds of me playing 18 tournaments and going 16 and out are hopefully, hopefully I at least get some play in there somewhere, especially with those uh, one pocket events yeah, and the yep. banks and the dirt. I mean, I, I'll probably have like legitimately, I'll probably have like eight tournaments that actually plays more like, you know, a dozen tournaments. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I'm excited about is, that was the other thing I learned from this tournament was I need more at bats and I have to, and, and I have to put more in to get more out and I have to find a way to make that happen. So that's what's going to happen. And I'm excited. Yeah. And then um, I'm excited that we're about to go play some pool. So, yeah. So let's, should we go play some pool? Let's go get them. Let's go get them. All right. Here you come. Scotch doubles ghost. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, if you have questions, comments, uh, I'm at info at mnpoolbootcamp.com. MN stands for Minnesota. So look me up, and uh, I am I am queuing up some uh, some three day boot camps for next year. So if you're interested in coming out and training with me on the table, I promise if you spend three days with me on the table, um, you're gonna have a good time, and you'll probably see the pool table differently when we're done. So all right, I'll talk to you guys later.